This is the To The Point Podcast. Together with our ERISA attorney, we'll explore key Affordable Care Act and trending compliance topics, all in 15 minutes or less. Now here's our host, Sarah Gillespie. Welcome to our To The Point Podcast. This is Sarah Gillespie. I am the Compliance Director at Lipsman Pitts in Memphis, Tennessee. And I have with me Stacy Barrow, our ERISA Compliance Counsel. How are you, Stacy? I am good, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. So, Stacey, you know, we've talked a lot of uh, talked about a lot of different topics for these podcasts that we've done. But one that I realized that we hadn't done yet that might be very helpful was on the topic of Department of Labor audits. So I know that these audits are not new. And actually, most of the items that are up for review in an audit are not new, although there are a few. Um, But I'm wondering, you know, has this become a more prevalent conversation in recent years? Years just because of heightened interest in compliance due to ACA, or are you really seeing an uptick in DOL audits? Um, yeah, absolutely. We have seen an uptick over the years. I think in light of the Affordable Care Act, the Department of Labor has significantly uh, increased their audit enforcement, and the, the IRS has as well. Um, they've stepped up their examination and enforcement activities, and I think both agencies are continuing to uh, increase the number of plans that they're reviewing and auditing uh, in the coming years. So that being the case, I think that uh, it's an important concept and for employers to understand that, you know, this is a real thing. It's out there and that certainly if there is an uptick, there should be um, some consideration for themselves if they offer health and welfare plans and what they need to do to prepare for that. And as the saying goes, I think we would probably all agree when it comes to Department of Labor audits that the best defense is a good offense. So when you think about Department of Labor audits, when you think about an employer who's going to prepare for this, something might come one day. What are the key things that you think an employer should um, consider and actually do to prepare for an audit? Sure. So um, just to break down the process a little bit, usually what will happen if, a, if the DOL decides it's going to review a plan, they'll send a letter to the employer. It'll have a very quick date for uh, a response time. Um, and usually what will happen, or, or at least in some cases, um, and we definitely want this to happen, is that the letter will say, look, if you can get us all of your documentation that we're asking for, then it might obviate the need for an on-site visit by the DOL. And so if the letter contains that kind of offer, we definitely want to take the government up on it and give them our documents by paper or electronically without them having to come on campus. So to that end, um, certainly having your ducks in a row, as they say, have your plan documents and SPDs and wrap documents and flex plans, all of your component documents uh, kept together in a binder or other folder or something like that. Um, So it permits ready retrieval when the um, government comes looking for it. Um, You know, a quick response with a nice fulsome binder, I think, will go a long way toward uh, making your life easier during the audit. It also shows that you're you're prepared and you've thought about this stuff. 
So I think I heard you say maybe three points that I would reiterate with those comments. First would be be in compliance. So if you're not in compliance today or if you don't know what that means, be sure that you're working with a broker. Reach out to us here at Lipscomb Pitts and see if that's something we can help you with to identify what those items may be and whether or not you have them, whether or not you need to track them down or whether or not you need to create them like your plan documents and your things like that. Um, The second would be store them all together for easy access because Stacy mentioned that the timeline is pretty tight. Plus, if they're saying if you can get us this stuff quickly, then, you know, we may not have to come on site. That's a pretty big deal. So you not only want to be in compliance, you want to know where all the things that you you have are. So storing them in one place would be very helpful. And then, Stacy, can you touch on document retention? How long should employers keep these things? Sure. Um, you know, general rule is that ERISA-required documents should be maintained for um, about six years after the end of the plan year being filed. So we, we kind of say the general best practice would be um, about seven years. And the uh, type of information that you want to um, you want to maintain is basically like not only your signed plan documents and amendments and the formal corporate resolutions relating to the plan, but really anything that backs up the 5,500. And so that might be enrollment forms, um, open enrollment materials, um, other financial reports, basically anything that would support what you have put on the 5,500. And I know that, you know, there's not a ton of useful information on the 5,500s, but, you know, you do say whether the plan is self-insured or fully insured and how many COBRA participants there are and how many employees there are at the beginning of the plan year. So there's actually a a fair amount of documentation uh, to uh, to retain. You know, things like um, if you're self-insured, copies of non-discrimination testing. Um, if uh, there are any disputed claims, you want to keep any of those records in the event of future litigation. Um, and like I mentioned, the payroll and census data that you're using to determine eligibility and contributions and, and things like that. So back to your comment about 5,500s. So this part of our conversation, we're still talking about how to prepare for a DOL audit. So what if an employer in preparing these items realizes they have not filed 5500s? We had a podcast on that, but since, you know, for the purpose of of this quick conversation, can you explain what the delinquent filer program is about? They would be in good company. There are plenty of, of employers that have missed their 5,500 obligation for their health and welfare plans. Um, it is just one of those common recurring issues. Everyone knows about it for the 401k plan, but for whatever reason, it sometimes gets overlooked for health and welfare plans. Um, to that end, the Department of Labor created the delinquent filer voluntary compliance program, which is uh, really handy. It's a way to significantly reduce your penalty exposure um, due to a failure to file uh, a 5500. And so uh, basically you can um, limit your penalties uh, to $2,000 per plan or $4,000 per plan if um, you have multiple plan years that are outstanding. 
And so if you find yourself in this position, obviously work closely with Sarah, but one of the things you should consider doing is implementing a wrap document to consolidate those plans for 5,500 purposes. And then uh, there's a, an approach you can take that will basically limit your penalty exposure to $4,000 for all plans and for all outstanding plan years. And, and you should work with counsel when you when you pull all this together. Um, but we, we know of some some good ways to help you limit your exposure there. And if you want to know more about that, Stacy and I actually recorded a complete podcast just on that topic on the catch up 5500 filings and using the delinquent filer voluntary compliance program. So definitely listen to that. But OK, Stacy, so say someone actually receives a Department of Labor audit. Um, what you mentioned it was a quick timeline but what does that timeline actually look like and what should an employer do first um well the timeline it's it's usually you know maybe by the time you get the letter um, you probably have a, a 10 days or maybe two weeks uh to respond timely i think you know what you should do first is contact your broker um, you know, like Sarah, see if they have a recommendation for an ERISA attorney, um, and you know, have have us respond. Um, you know, we can prepare the response. We can review your documents on the way over to make sure there's no smoking guns over there, and and we know what they're looking for. I mean, part of the the problem employers have sometimes is that when the Department of Labor sends over an audit letter, um, they might not know exactly what type of plan they're looking at. They don't know if it's fully insured or self-insured or funded through a trust or a single employer plan or a multiple employer plan. So the Department of Labor's letter might ask for everything under the sun and including the kitchen sink, right? And you, you might say, well, we we don't have a trust document. What do, what do we do? You know, so you have to kind of respond in a way that discloses, you know, look, we're not responding to items, you know, 14, 15, and 16. These are not applicable to our plan and so on. Um, and uh, we, we speak their language, so we know what should be included and what does not need to be included in the vast majority of cases, um, so we can help with that, that response. Okay, good advice. All right, so Stacy, I want to play a little game, a little true and false game. So I've got some statements I'm going to give you, and I want you to tell me true or false. So first, True or false, employers under 100 employees are not likely to be audited, so they have nothing to worry about. Um, that is false. Um, while many audits of our large, uh, are of larger plans, over 100, we've certainly seen audits of smaller plans from time to time. Uh, being under 100 does not necessarily insulate you from a welfare plan audit. Okay, good to know for sure. All right, true or false, securing legal assistance upon receiving a DOL audit may be a good idea. You kind of already touched on this. But. <laughs> That's an easy one. I like easy questions too. <laughs> uh, yeah, the answer is yes. Um, you know, as we said, you know, we we speak their language. We have audits going on through our office. You know, one or two every month or so. Uh, we know a lot of the investigators. Um, so. We, we do recommend having counsel respond. Usually we can do it fairly efficiently. It's not going to be, uh, you know, a $10,000 project uh, for, for most audits. Um, you know, usually it's, it's relatively discreet. Okay. Next, true or false, nonprofits are generally good for society, and so they're not likely to be audited. 
<laughs> well, they are certainly good for society. Um, I couldn't say that they're not likely to be audited. One of the big misconceptions that we find out there is that uh, nonprofits, many of them are unaware that they are still uh, subject to the 5500 requirement if they have over 100 employees participating on the first day of the plan year. There is no blanket exemption for nonprofit entities from the 5500 requirement or, or from ERISA. And so just just a, a quick note about that. Yeah, I was going to say you mentioned ERISA at the end. Um, the only companies that are or employer type entities that are exempt from ERISA would be government type entities and church plans for the most part, correct? That's right. Yeah, church entities um, and uh, state or local um, non-federal governmental plans are usually exempt from ERISA. Okay, back to the game. Okay, so true or false, a DOL audit may dig into an employer's wellness program. Oh, absolutely. That is for sure. Uh, they are, wellness programs are a huge focus of every Department of Labor audit that we are involved in. Um, that's, that's probably their number one item, frankly, uh, it seems of late. That and mental health parity um, are their two uh, most prominent uh, areas of concern right now that we're seeing. Hmm, that's interesting. I feel like, you know, wellness programs are fairly new of the last several years. And so it's important to share that those definitely have to abide by the compliance rules. Okay, last question. So true or false, the Department of Labor is looking to collect on as many penalties as possible through an audit. This, this depends a little bit. Um, in the past, we used to see it much more frequently that, at least in, say, the early stages of a law like the ACA, the agencies would look to get the employer in compliance, and as long as they had acted in good faith, they wouldn't necessarily come crashing down and attempting to collect penalties. We have seen more of a shift in the last handful of years um, where the government is taking a little more of aggressive positions. They are looking to um, enforce penalties and seek uh, recovery of monies if there are participants that are disadvantaged, say, by um, a wellness program that doesn't meet all the requirements or a mental health parity issue. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I, I think they are. They do tend to, to be a little more aggressive in terms of uh, actually enforcing those penalties. We, of course, will always um, you know, fight against that and uh, try to make a case that the company has acted in good faith and they've mitigated it to the extent possible. Sometimes that's successful and other times um, they might just you know, be in a bad mood and want to make an example out of a particular employer if they think there's a there's an issue they've been clear on and the company is is violating it. You know, they might uh, just uh, again want to try to make an example. I wasn't quite sure how you'd answer that one because I have heard that you know sometimes they're just looking to see compliance, and so if you can show that you've made an effort, or if you are making an effort to correct things you haven't done, I've heard you know maybe they'll let things go. But then of course I've also heard that everybody's trying to fund all of these things, the ACA and all that have happened in the last few years, and they need that money. So I was curious to see how you'd answer that one. 
Well, it wasn't what you expected. Well, it's kind of a little of both, I guess. I don't know. Um, okay. Well, so generally what we wanted to communicate with this podcast is that a Department of Labor audit is definitely a very real thing. It is a very important thing to pay attention to. There is a tight timeline. And so the most important thing that employers can do right now is look at the list of compliance items and make sure that they are in line, that they've got the things that they need to have, that they're storing them together and that they're keeping those items for up to six years, like Stacy said. So if any of that confuses you, if you'd like to have a conversation about it or about any of the particular compliance items or requirements, and you want to speak with me or Stacy, please definitely reach out to me, Sarah G, S-A-R-A-H-G at lpinsurance.com. We would love to to speak further about that. Well, Stacy, thanks so much. This has been kind of fun with a little game and extra information, and I appreciate all of your knowledge here. You're very welcome. I'm looking forward to my prize. (laughs) We'll have that waiting. All right. Well, join us next time on one of our other podcasts. Thanks and have a great day. 